God, we, uh, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you that as we gather, your people gather in your name, you are here in our midst. In the midst of every storm that we face in our lives, you are there. You never leave us, you never forsake us. And you call us to trust in you. So Father, I ask for your, your guidance as I speak your word this morning. I know it's not going to solve the problem of suffering. But Father, I know that you can speak into our lives that you can speak into our hearts, right into the depths of our souls and begin to turn our mourning into dancing. We know you have the power to do that. We trust in you. Our eyes are upon you. So come among us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, in light of the recent tragedy that we've uh, heard happened in the life, lives of our associate pastor and, and his family, in light of the tragedy that many of us have witnessed, have experienced, are continuing to experience today, in light of all of these things that are happening, I decided that I would revisit the book of Job this week. The book of Job. It's a very long book. <laughs> book of Job. 42 chapters. Okay. Really long. It is an extensive work. 42 chapters. And, and, and I mean, I've read this, you know, a few times. I've read it uh, for projects at school. I've read it and after reading it, have become upset at what I was reading. Uh, I was unable to accept it. You know, I've wrestled with it. I was wrestling with the text. Um, I quite often still do that. Right? It's, it's such a, a unique piece of writing that we have in, in the Word of God. And, and for generations, the people of God have, have looked to the book of Job um, to receive teaching or to receive a message of, of why is it that the righteous suffer? And, and, and I believe that, you know, this time round when I was reading the book of Job, I had a revelation when I was reading it. And it wasn't this new, deeper understanding as to why suffering exists. Rather, it was just a revelation on the fact that wrestling with it is okay. It's normal. It's a part of our trying to come to grips with the calamity that befalls in our lives. And it's interesting because if you look at the book of Job, from chapter 3 to chapter 37. Okay, that's a lot of writing. 
34, 35 chapters worth of wrestling with the fact that calamity fell upon Job. That's a big chunk of that book, is wrestling with this thing that just happened. I believe that is the main point of the book of Job, that it is okay to wrestle with the things that happen in our lives. So for today, I, I'm, I'm not here to say that I'm going to answer the problem. There's just no way I could do that in, in 30 minutes. Um, so I'm not here to answer the problem of suffering. Um, but I would like to at least try and make sense of it from God's word, from the book of Job, and from experience. And so what I'm going to do for this morning is I'm going to divide my talk into three sections. Okay, and uh, the first section I want to talk about, you know, uh, the reasons for suffering outlined in God's word. Um, the second part I want to talk about is, in light of suffering, what does God do within it? Within, in the midst of our suffering, what does God do with it? That's what I want to talk about, second section. Number three, the third section I want to talk about is, how can we as the body of Christ come alongside one another in the midst of suffering? Okay? So, part one. Bullet point one. Okay, part one is reasons for suffering. Bullet point one. Bullet point one. Suffering is a part of our fallen world as a result of sin. If you read Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, it says this, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust, For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says this. Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death, calamity, and suffering is a part of the fallen world. It is a result of sin. The post-Adam and Eve, the post-Garden and Eden world is marked with suffering. It's a part of this world. Number two, bullet point two. The one who rules this world is Satan. Now, what do I mean by that? What does that mean? Because there's several parts in scriptures that say exactly that. For instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Satan is called the God of this world. It says this, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, the word for world there is the Greek word ion, which means age. Other translations actually translate it age. Satan is the God of this age, this time period, this period of time in human history where suffering, calamity, pain, sorrow, tears, it's a part of this world. Satan rules over the systems of this world. But 
Although he does, we have good news. We have good news, and it's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says this, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. To destroy the works of the devil. And so Jesus, that's what he came to do. He came with a message. Do you know what his message was? The kingdom of God is at hand. What that means is this, that the rule of God is breaking in, into the rule of Satan, taking back what is rightfully his. We have good news. Jesus did that. And it is continuing to unfold as history continues, as we go towards the consummation of the human story, that is unfolding. The rule of God, the reign of God is breaking in, taking back what is rightfully God's. That is God's ultimate will for us. Revelation 21, verse 3 to 4 says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God is moving humanity into that. That is God's will. That is the consummation of creation. That. But currently what we are in, we are in the age of the former things. We are in the age of suffering. But God is redeeming us and we will enter the age where all of this will become a distant memory. Now, although these words can be extremely hopeful, we are still in this age. We are still in the midst of suffering. We are still in the midst of pain and sorrow. So the question is this, which is the next point of my sermon. What does God do with our suffering in this current age? Okay, so section two. What does God do with our suffering in this current age? If God's will for us is that place, Revelation 21, 3 to 4, there's going to be no more death, no more tear, no more pain. That's where God's taking us. Then when we are here facing suffering, what is it for? Number one. God uses suffering to transform us. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Perhaps you've heard the saying that what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. How many of you have heard that statement? Okay. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. Now, one of the things that I'm discovering about God, one of the things that make our God awesome, is that he miraculously has a way of turning, transforming our mourning into dancing. Only God can do that. 
And he does do that. God can turn our grief into overwhelming joy. God actually has the power to do that. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Second thing, John 15, verse 1 and 2 says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may, be, that it may bear more fruit. Now, it's interesting. It says that the branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But the branch that does bear fruit, what does he do? He prunes it. Both those hurt. Both of those are ouchies. They both are painful. Isn't that interesting? Both hurt, but both produce the results that God wants for our lives. Fruit. So that we would bear fruit. Fruit that will last. God uses our suffering so that we would bear much fruit for his glory. Third scripture verse, James chapter 1, verse 2, two to 4. <clears throat> this is what he says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Uh, this is the ESV version. Uh, many of you may be familiar with the term uh, perseverance. Another word is endurance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so God uses our trials to shape us, to mold us, so that we would lack nothing. The second point, why? What does, God th- what does God do in the midst of our suffering? How does God use it? Number two, second thing. Through our suffering, we can bring glory to God. Through our suffering, we can bring glory to God. <clears throat> Part of my... Uh, I hate calling pastoral ministry a job. It's really a calling. That's a good word. It's great. I love doing what I do. It's just such an amazing honor to live for God's purposes. Wow. What a, anyway, we all do that. I'm just saying. We all do. But, I mean, it's just very fortunate situation that I'm in. Now, one of the greatest things that I do is meet with people. I love meeting with people to hear stories. Um, I hear very happy stories, very, you know, blessings. I hear about a lot of great ways that God works in the lives of his people. But I hear of tremendous sorrow as well. I mean, pain that I just could not ever imagine. And, And I, that's, One of the things that, I mean, it's an unfortunate side, but this one time I was sitting with this person. I'm just going to keep them confidential, but this person, uh, I was speaking to them about their life, 
and they began to share. Um, and, and really, every time this person speaks, it's like, you know, God is good. God is faithful. God is with me. And, and you know, those statements are easy to say when we're on the mountaintop, right? When everything is just great. All our finances are in order and the kids are doing great and, you know, everything's fine and dandy. It's easy to say, God is faithful. God is good. And it's good to say that. It's good to praise God in those situations. God receives glory in those times. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But listen, it's a totally, completely different thing when we say that and we're able to say that meaningfully in the midst of the gutters of our lives. When we are down, out, beaten, struck down, we still are able to say, you know, God is good. And I sat with this, this person. And this person's going through a situation not much different from Job. Okay? Devastated in the, in the world of finances. Job lost everything. Okay? This person, financial, just devastated. One thing after another after another. It's like, where did it come from? Just out of nowhere. It wasn't their doing. It wasn't their wrong choices not, none of that it just happened and, and, and then in the area of health this person is facing health struggles and yet in the midst of that this person is able to say God is faithful God is good God is with me he will never forsake me when I hear that Do you know what I hear? This person's treasure is not in the things of this world. This person's treasure is far beyond what money could buy. Far beyond what money could buy in this life. This person's treasure is in Christ. Psalm 63 verse 3 says this, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. This person lives this psalm, completely understands this psalm the way the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul did as well. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20 to 21. This is what Paul says. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die, gain. No matter what this world throws at us, no matter what Satan does to try to steal, kill, and destroy us, Christ is our all in all. Christ is our strength. Christ is our treasure. This deep understanding that to live is Christ and to die is gain 
explodes in bringing glory to God. My life is a praise to God when we proclaim that with our life to this world, that to me, to live is not in the things of this world. No matter what happens, Christ is my life. And to die is great gain. Hallelujah. God is glorified. For God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. Through our suffering, in the midst of it, we have the opportunity to bring glory to God. That's what it's all about. Bringing glory to God. And it is in that moment that we receive the deepest satisfaction in our souls. When we bring Him glory, we are most satisfied in Him. Now, with all that said, those are just words. When we are in the midst of suffering, Sometimes those words can go in one ear, out the other, when we are in the middle of it all. Do you know what I'm talking about? When we are currently facing a situation, words just don't cut it. And Job's friends, they blew it for 34 chapters. But you know what? They had it right at the beginning. Job chapter 2, verse 11 to 13. This is what it says. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they uh, came each from his own place. Eliphaz, these names are just, wow, you know, great names. Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuhite. Oh, I shouldn't say that. That's, that's mean. They're good names. Uh, Elif- Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar... Then Zophar, the Namathite, <clears throat> they made an appointment together to come to show him, that's Job, sympathy and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. And so at the beginning, Job's friends, they had it right. They were just with him in the midst of his suffering. For seven days, seven nights, being alongside their friend who just witnessed perhaps the greatest devastation we could ever experience. When you lose your children, it's just, there's no words that can describe that kind of pain. I believe God feels that pain when he loses one of his own. But that's another sermon. So the final point for this morning, 
How do we, as the body of Christ, walk alongside one another in the midst of suffering? I believe Job chapter 2, 11 to 13 actually has the answer. Number one, listen. Be listeners. James chapter 1, 19 says, Be quick to listen and slow to speak. When we are with someone who is facing a tragedy, it may seem noble to say things like this. God is in control. Don't worry. God is sovereign. He's in control. Or, God has a plan. He will make a way where there seems to to be no way. Right? God will look after that for you. It may seem noble to say that, and and it's true. Or or, or it may seem noble to to, to give some advice like, you know, you you should pray about that. You you should pray. Or, Or you should read the Bible more. Although it may seem noble to do that, in the midst of suffering. Now, here's the thing. We could do that when we're, we're, we're having a theological discussion or, you know, just pondering about the things of God. But in the midst of suffering, saying those kinds of things, do not help. It's noise. It adds to the noise that is already in the mind. They're already thinking those things anyway. Like a ping pong match, going back and forth, back and forth. God is good, but I'm in pain. God is good, I'm in pain. I can't believe, but God is good. It's a constant duel in our minds. When we as the body of Christ say something like that, it adds to the noise. So in the midst of trial, that is not the time to give a lesson. We need to be listeners. Be quick to listen, slow to speak in the midst of one's suffering. Number two, how do we walk alongside one another in the midst of suffering? We pray. Pray. Job's three friends give long-winded lessons to Job. 34 chapters, my goodness, okay? It didn't help. Made things worse. At the end, God gives a long-winded answer to Job. And it did help. Why? Because when people speak to you, it's logical reasoning. It adds to the noise. When God speaks to you, it is a revelation. Logical reasoning adds to the noise of the mind. God speaking transforms the mind. Logical reasoning adds to the noise of the mind, but revelation from God renews the mind. Only God can do that in the midst of suffering. So church, pray for one another. Pray with 
one another so that God would speak the revelation into the hearts of those who are facing struggle. Because when he speaks, it dispels all fear, all darkness, all sorrow. God can do that. So number two, pray that God would speak to them. Number three, Oh, I got a piece of ice. Sorry. I left it in the car. It froze. Then it melted because it was one degree. Anyway, uh, number three. Weep. Weep. One of the most powerful verses in Scripture is two words. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Two extremely powerful words, one extremely powerful picture. The Son of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The Son of God, who speaks and calms the storm. The Son of God, who heals sickness with the word, raises the dead back to life. Jesus Christ is the answer. He's right there. Yet, he joins in the sorrow and he weeps alongside the people. That is deep compassion for those who are suffering. Jesus wept. Our Lord and Savior did that. We should do that too. Now, these three things really point to one ultimate thing. That is love. Agape love. Sacrificial, unselfish love. We need to love one another. Because we all face trials of various kinds. We all have our storms in this life. We all face some form of suffering in this life. And though there are reasons for it that are beyond our understanding, and though there are reasons that God uses it for good, when we are in the middle of it, what we truly need is love. So let us love one another in this way. Be listeners. Pray for one another. Weep when others weep. This is how we bear one another's burdens. So may the Lord speak to you in your distress. May the Lord come through and show his might on your behalf. And may the pain you face today be transformed into something beautiful in the days to come. We bring you glory, O oh God. And Father, we just pray that you would come in the midst of the storm and say what you need to say 
to calm that storm. Our eyes upon our our eyes are upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Trinity Church, you've been there for us through a lot. And so God bless you. May the Lord speak to you this week. And uh, see you next week. Bless you. Bye.